Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. I was thinking about today's episode and thinking about the general direction of the podcast. And we've we've spent a lot of time talking about doubt in struggling within a faith crisis. And I, I want to make something uh, hopefully clear. At some point, we all need to move forward. And I know that may sound like the most impossible thing to do in the moment that you're in. But recognizing that that's a need that we have, and and please don't mistake me, I'm not going to abandon discussing faith crisis and the issues that surround it when things arise or when something's on my mind. We'll certainly talk about it. But I want to begin taking this podcast at least slightly in a different direction in the sense that when this podcast first started, we also covered a lot of gospel subjects such as grace and receiving the Holy Ghost and other things like that. And I want to get back to that a little bit. So among the topics of faith crisis, I also want to mix in more often discussions of gospel topics. And so today, and, and some of these apply to faith crisis in ways. In fact, I know today's will. But today I want to talk about unity and diversity. And I want to talk about why we set up this expectation within the church that we all need to fit a mold. That whenever anybody comes into our church, we need to assimilate them as quickly as possible into what we think a, a Latter-day Saint should look like, speak like, and the way in which they should see the gospel. We want to make that kind of uh, in line with the rest of us. So the question we want to tackle today is, why do we have this view? Is it is this view that we should all fit a mold, is it appropriate? And... And what really is the paradigm in which we should situate differences and diversity and unity? And uh, and so keep in mind as we go forward in this podcast throughout the upcoming episodes that we're going to begin to tackle some more gospel principles 
and and still, you know, focus in on how it affects our faith and how we struggle with faith and perhaps help us create paradigms that are more realistic as we deal with uh, ex- assumptions and expectations, which we've talked about before. But I want to begin by, by reading a part out of LDS.org. It says, Just before the Savior carried out the atonement, he prayed for his disciples, whom he had sent into the world to teach the gospel. He also prayed for those who would believe in him because of his disciples' words. He pled for unity, that they may that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. From this prayer we learn how the gospel unites us with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and with each other. When we live the gospel, receiving the saving ordinances and keeping our covenants, our natures are changed. The Savior's atonement sanctifies us, and we can live in unity, enjoying peace in this life and preparing to dwell with the Father and His Son forever. Unquote. So we have this set up, and I don't want to undermine this at all. We ought to recognize that being like Christ and and those things that are Christ-like attributes in the way in which he would act and behave, those are behavioral traits that we all want to unify ourselves under. That the God, the idea behind the gospel is that each of us is becoming more like Christ, and therefore we are truly becoming unified. So I don't want to undermine it at all. I'm not trying to throw unity out, unity out the window. But I want us to kind of grasp how sometimes we can take this principle to extremes. In the topical guide under unity, it says this, quote, The Lord has said, if ye are not one, ye are not mine. We can seek and promote this standard of unity in our families and in the church. If we are married, we and our spouse can be unified in purpose and action. We can allow our unique qualities to complement one another as we face challenges together and grow in love and understanding. We can also be unified with other family members and with members of the church by serving together, teaching one another, and encouraging one another. We can become one with the president of the church and other church leaders as we study their words and follow their counsel. As the church grows throughout the world, all Latter-day Saints can be united. Our hearts can be knit together in unity and in love one towards another. We appreciate cultural diversity and individual differences, but we also seek the unity of the faith that comes when we follow inspired leaders and remember that we are all children of the same Father. To become one in thought, desire, and purpose, first with our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ, and then with other saints. It is good for the brethren to dwell together in unity. And so here's some scriptures to set this up that we can just think about. One, I and my Father are one. Then there's Jesus prayed that all may be one as he and his Father are one. Another, I beseech you that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together. Another, be determined in one mind and in one heart, united in all things. Then there's one in Second Nephi. Saints should have their hearts knit together in unity. And I love that one. The whole idea of being knit together. And then lastly, one out of the Doctrine of Covenants. The Lord called his people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind. And so there are some scriptures to set up this idea. And, and we ought to recognize, right, the Lord talks about being unified. He does not talk about being ununified. And, and I guess 
the issue may be in recognizing what is the opposite of unity. Is the opposite of unity diversity? Or can we be, can we have unity in the midst of a diversity? And that would be the question. Now, how we got here to this idea that everybody needs to fit a mold, I want to share a couple of quotes from leaders in the church that I think are, are perhaps taken out of context and used in a way that they shouldn't be. And so the first one is from President Faust. This comes from a conference talk from Elder Faust in the uh, early uh, 1995 session of General Conference, and it was titled, Heirs to the Kingdom of God. And here's the quote uh, from President Faust. Our real strength is not so much in our diversity, but in our spiritual and doctrinal unity. And so, just briefly, we have uh, President Faust saying that our strength is not in our diversity so much, but in our unity. And and I think we ought to to at least think about that, that if if the Twelve Apostles, for instance, in Christ's time, valued more their diversity than their unity, then what would they be? And, and what would their cause be? And since the cause is to become like Christ, and to serve those around us, and to help them come unto Christ then that really should be the most important direction that we're all heading in. And so to take this quote, for instance, and to make it mean that diversity is unimportant, does not matter, and we all need to fit a mold, would be taking it too far. I I wanted to, to kind of second this thought process with a talk by Elder Dallin H. Oaks that he gave uh, back in 1999 in February. And it was titled, The Weightier Matters. And so here's a a long section of uh, maybe a minute and a half or so, two minutes worth of what he was was sharing. And again, consider, you know, you may want to go back and read this talk. He is is speaking about diversity and unity, but I think he's touching on it in the same way that uh, President Faust was. And so we'll go to that now. Similarly, what we now call diversity appears in the scriptures as a condition. This is evident wherever differences among the children of God are described, such as in the numerous scriptural references to nations, kindreds, tongues, and peoples. In the scriptures, the objectives we are taught to pursue on the way to our eternal goals are ideals like love and obedience. These ideals do not accept us as we are, but require each of us to make changes. Jesus did not pray that his followers would be diverse, He prayed that they would be one. Modern revelation does not say, be diverse, and if ye are not diverse, you are not mine. It says, be one, and if ye are not one, ye are not mine. Our church has an approach to the obvious culture and ethnic diversities among our members. We teach that what unites us is far more important than what differentiates us. Consequently, our members are asked to concentrate their efforts to strengthen our unity, not to glorify our diversity. This is one of those talks that I, 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 to be honest, I struggled with a little bit as I tried to make sense of it. And I think the key is, is to go back and know specifically what type of diversity he is talking about. We recognize that people speaking different languages is, if we're honest with ourselves, it's a condition, right? That little by little people spread out in different places in the world and languages change. That's a condition. The fact that somebody in the inner city of one place speaks one way and someone out in the country speaks another 
is an impact of their culture on them. The fact that we have different things within our cultures, those are conditions. It's not to say those are things we are born with. And then if we go back to the pre-mortal life and understand why we were sent here and what the end goal is, again, to become like our Father in Heaven and like His Son, we recognize that innately in us, while there are differences, innately in us is should be this desire to unify towards Christ. But I do struggle a little bit because to say that diversity is a condition can at times maybe minimize the diversity that God really intends us to have, which I want to talk about towards the end. So I want to start to shift gears, and, and we can see from quotes like these that it would be very easy for us to treasure the unity and to put a negative connotation on our diversity, to essentially see that everything that makes us different is is something that shouldn't be there. It is an anomaly that we are to weed out and get rid of so that we are all the same. And yet, that's not the case at all. And the brethren don't teach that. And so we we need to come to an understanding that diversity is to be treasured. And so one of the things I find is that we we tend to group people around us by the way in which we interact with the world. And so perhaps we've come into contact with some negative information. I'm speaking to those probably outside this listenership. But those who come into contact with negative information about the church, and they simply brush it off. And then there's others who, like me, look at this stuff and try to dig down to what is fact and what is not fact. What is the context? What's the truth of it? Is this true? Why wasn't I told this? And it it sometimes bothers us, and we struggle with it. And we can't understand why the person who shrugs it off, how they can shrug it off. And we think that they are just brainwashed and not dealing honestly with the information. And they look at us and they say, oh my goodness, you're an apostasy. You're falling away. You're, you have a desire to sin. You, you, you and you come up with a hundred reasons of why, why people struggle, but for reasons that are not real or reasonable or truly valid. And it's so easy for us to look at each other and to try to, place people under the same expectations and assumptions that we have of ourselves and how we would handle something. And the sooner we can come to grips with the fact that we are all different and we all handle different experiences in various ways, that would not be the way the person next to us would handle it. And yet that doesn't invalidate the way they would handle it. And it doesn't make us wrong either necessarily, but rather we are different and those differences are important and crucial to the kingdom of God. So, let, with that, let's go to a quote by Elder Cause. This was, Ye are no more strangers in the October 2013, uh, this most recent uh, general conference. Unity is not achieved by ignoring and isolating members who seem to be different or weaker, and only associating with people who are like us. On the contrary, unity is gained by welcoming and serving those who are new and who have particular needs. These members are a blessing for the church and provide us with opportunities to serve our neighbors and thus purify our own hearts. So, my brothers, it is your duty to reach out to anyone who appears at the doors of your church buildings. Welcome them with gratitude and without prejudice. All right, so so first is this, you know, there's several things he does here in this quote. He makes it apparent that we should welcome anybody who's different than us. 
that we should do so without prejudice, which, which is to judge them based on their differences. Uh, prejudice is to look down on someone because they are different than you. So we have Elder Causé speaking about recognizing that while differences are present, it's not, he's not, he's not suggesting that we praise the differences, but that we accept people in spite of their differences without judgment and prejudice. And that we welcome them and love them and wraps our, wrap our arms around them and be concerned for them and care for them and be Christ-like towards them. So that's a first step. And, and so we see that he puts down several, at least thoughts that sometimes run through our mind as we want to grab somebody who is different than us. And if they come in with a facial hair, we want them to shave. If they come in with their uh, t-shirt and their jeans right away, we want to slap a white shirt and a tie on them. And we, we want to take people and we want to change them. But what we don't recognize is that the gospel will change them and it will change them into what Christ wants them to be. And so we don't need to rush right in and think that we have a better grasp of what Christ wants them to be and to immediately work at changing them. Rather, we need to accept people where they're at and begin to let the gospel work on them. And we can do that by fellowshipping and encouraging and teaching principles and truth and doctrine, but not trying to force someone to become like us. So that's the that's the quote from Elder Causé. Now I have two other quotes I want to share, and then I want to share a scripture, and we'll just kind of finish up uh, with that. The next quote I want to share is one of my favorites, and uh, you can probably imagine one of the two names it, it likely comes from, and it is from one of those. It's from Elder Uchtdorf, and this was from his conference talk, not this past conference, but the one before called The Four Titles. So this was in the April of 2013 conference where he talks very much about our differences in diversity and its comparison with unity. And so now we'll go to President Uchtdorf's uh, quote from his talk, The Four Titles. But while the atonement is meant to help us all become more like Christ, it is not meant to make us all the same. Sometimes we confuse differences in personality with sin. We can even make the mistake of thinking that because someone is different from us, it must mean they are not pleasing to God. This line of thinking leads some to believe that the church wants to create every member from a single mold, that each one should look, feel, think, and behave like every other. This would contradict the genius of God, who created every man different from his brother, every son different from his father. Even identical twins are not identical in their personalities and spiritual identities. It also contradicts the intent and purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ, which acknowledges and protects the moral agency with all its far-reaching consequences of each and every one of God's children. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are united in our testimony of the restored gospel of and our commitment to keep God's commandments. But we are diverse in our cultural, social, and political preferences. 
The church thrives when we take advantage of this diversity and encourage each other to develop and use our talents to lift and strengthen our fellow disciples. See, I, I love that quote. And it, I hope it's apparent to all the listeners who listen to it. Why? Because it makes it understood that our differences are of value. That we, that it is a strength to our faith. And by faith, I mean the institution, the church, to have this diversity, these differences. And that we ought not to see someone who's different than us as their differences as sin. We ought not to see them as less than in the eyes of God because of their differences, but rather we ought to value the differences that each of us have. And he uses the word diversity or diverse and makes that a strength within our church. Now, does that mean that diversity is more important than unity? Absolutely not. In fact, I think the scriptures are pretty clear on this. And again, we'll get to that in a moment. But I think one can have unity in the midst of diversity and that both can complement each other and be the strength of our faith. Rather than these being split into a dichotomy of one being good and one being bad, in which camp are you in? I think it's when we mix these and intertwine them. And as as uh, the scripture said, knit together our differences to be unified. I think then is when we find our real strength in the gospel and in the church. The last quote I don't have an audio of, it is from a talk by Elder John Carmack, and it was given in 1991 in the Enzyme, and uh, it's in the March issue of the Enzyme 1991. It was titled Unity in Diversity, and so I just want to I want to read that to you. He says, in a worldwide church, becoming one does not mean becoming the same. Whether we recognize it or not, diversity is now part of the church, and it is increasing daily. If our experience in linking and unifying diverse membership is as successful as our art contest, an institution of color, beauty, and deep spiritual unity can develop. To succeed, we will need unifying ideas taught by thoughtful leaders, stakes and wards whose members are imbued with flexibility and openness, to greet and make welcome the diverse membership, putting brothers and sisters to work in meaningful service will hasten the unification process. All are needed by each one. Nothing is fair or good alone. He then says, The question of whether there is unifying force, powerful enough to overcome the divisive elements of diversity, is answered with a resounding yes. Inspired and energetic leaders are required where there is vision, The people respond. The doctrine is in place. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. And all who join are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. He then says, The prophet of God gives us a single authoritative voice on matters of doctrine and practice. Priesthood authority granted to men gives them the right to baptize, bestow the Holy Ghost, and bless our congregations with unity without robbing us of our diversity. Authoritative scriptures contain the word of God to guide us. Basic gospel ordinances, weekly sacrament meetings, temple blessings, and universal priesthood and relief society are available. The gospel is centered in homes. In the work of spreading the gospel through missionary service and temple service for our deceased ancestors keeps all members involved, providing a dynamic, action-filled life for the saints. 
Undergirding everything, the Holy Ghost unifies all who live worthily to receive and magnify its gifts. He then continues, he says, Despite these simple and unifying doctrines and practices, there are some barriers to creating a greater unity amid our diversity. These barriers include racial and cultural discrimination and attitudes of separatism. The gospel is marvelously sufficient to create the desired unity. But people are imperfect. Discomfort because of language barriers, fear of accepting those with differences in skin color, alienation of singles, all have created barriers to unity. Usually this mistreatment, this isolation and discrimination is self-justified by the use of labels. Labeling a fellow church member an intellectual, a less active member, a feminist, a South African, an Arminian, a Utah Mormon, or a Mexican, for example, seemingly provides an excuse to mistreat or ignore that person. These problems and many more need to be addressed if we are to create a society such as that which Enoch created. As we become one with God, we will become one with each other. As we become one with each other, we will become one with God. He then says, This unity which should come naturally often comes painfully, a step at a time, line upon line, precept upon precept. It took a graphic revelation for Peter to say, Aha! Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And if you remember me talking about this, this is the revelation that Peter received in order to give the gospel to the Gentiles. He then says, some of us, like Paul, take easily and naturally to this concept of accepting all as alike. As a people, we, like the Los Angeles stake, are not doing badly with this imperative to create unity of many cultures, but we can do much more to enjoy the cultural diversity of our brothers and sisters. It may require a greater change in attitude, building on our many commonalities, but we must learn to appreciate the differences in others. The future will bring much, much more cultural diversity into the church, and all who come deserve to have friends and leaders like Paul. He then begins to wrap up. He says, simplification of organization, process, and worship, allowing a return to what is basic and fundamental, seems to also be coming. Change, all being accomplished in wisdom and order, is sweeping the church. The new budget program is an example of this simplification. Experience teaches me that we must work hard at creating unity in diversity. We must push on that door with active and strong leadership. Unity in diversity will not happen if we let nature take its course. Isolation and discrimination are still compatible. Sorry. Isolation and discrimination are still capable of surfacing in every location of the church. We each need to assign ourselves as a committee of one to create the attitudes of inclusion, acceptance, and unity wherever we find ourselves. It needs to be a high priority with us. We especially need leaders to show the way by precept and example. Each of us should be fair to everyone, especially the victims of discrimination, isolation, and exclusion. Let us be careful not to snicker at jokes that demean and belittle others because of religious, cultural, racial, national, or gender differences. All are alike unto God. We should walk away or face up to the problem when confronted with these common and unworthy practices. Each should do his or her part. Now that was just an awesome talk. I wish I had the audio. This was given in 1991, and this talk, as he even points out, uh, is ahead of its time. He, he talks about things which need to happen and things which are coming, 
things that are beginning to occur in the church. I want to share a couple of these quotes again. He begins by saying, in a worldwide church, becoming one does not mean becoming the same. So we need to understand that right there, right? We can be unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, everybody having differences and being diverse. He says, whether we recognize it or not, diversity is now a part of the church. So Brother Carmack back in 1991 recognized that as this church became larger and larger, it was becoming a worldwide entity. He says, if our experience in linking and unifying diverse membership is as successful as our art contest, an institution of color, beauty, and deep spiritual unity can develop. He says, to succeed, we will need unifying ideas taught by thoughtful leaders. That brings me back to Elder Uchtdorf and Elder Holland's recent talk on depression, for instance. I, I think when we begin to to be more open to the differences that each of us have and to see those differences as, as people and the differences that are still welcomed and loved by God, we start to hit the nail on the head. He says, we need stakes and wards whose members are imbued with flexibility and openness to greet and make welcome the diverse membership. I, I I can't say enough of this. If you go back and listen to past episodes, you will hear me talk about how we have to have this flexibility in the gospel. We have got to stop painting Mormonism with this broad brush that makes everybody fit a mold, and that we need to be more flexible. Brother Carmack speaks to that, that we need stakes and wards whose members are imbued with flexibility and openness to greet and make welcome the diverse membership, putting the brothers and sisters to work in meaningful service, will hasten the unification process. So taking people who are different and getting them to serve with each other will unify us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that is just beautiful. He then says, The question of whether there is unifying force powerful enough to overcome the diverse elements of diversity is answered with a resounding yes. Inspired and energetic leaders are required. Where there is vision, the people respond. He talks about the doctrine being in place, that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, and that all who join are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. He talks about how the principles of the gospel can unite us without robbing us of our diversity. And then I love towards the end, he says, simplification of organization, process in worship, allowing a return to what is basic and fundamental, seems also to be coming. Wow, is that a revelation or what? I mean, that is inspired. 1991, he talks of that. And yet today, we really start to see that the church, in many ways, is beginning to tear down some of the old things that have been said in the past that were either nonsense, opinion, uh, a false doctrine, whatever those things are. You can label them whatever you want. The fact of the matter is they're not the official policy or doctrine of the church today, and those things are being cast off. And we are getting back to the basics. We are we are beginning to to stop taking the culture from Utah and from the Wasatch Front and from the from the Western United States, and we're beginning to tear that off of Mormonism and beginning to not go into other countries and force people to fit that cultural mold as well. And I think that is a huge positive. Brother Carmack hits the nail on the head. I want to finish with a scripture. Let's turn in our scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. It says, For as the body is one and hath many members, 
and all the members of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? And now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. Do you got, Do you not see that? God wants us to be different. We all have different gifts. We all have different things to bring to the table. And just because we don't have this talent that brother or sister so-and-so has doesn't make us any less in God's eyes or any less crucial or important to the gospel and to the church and to helping others to come unto Christ and for others to serve us, to bring us unto Christ. And so the question becomes, why are we all different? Why do we all have different gifts? And, And we talked about it a little bit, but I want to finish with this last scripture, which ties into this. This is Ephesians chapter 4. This is uh, in verse 11. Prior to verse 11, he talks about uh, giving different gifts. In verse 11, he talks about giving uh, us various different kinds of leaders who serve uh, different functions within the church. And then finishing up with verses 12, 13, and 14. And he says, for the perfe- and he says what this is for. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I hope you you can see that we are different, and we are different because God intended us to be different, and that while our unity is our strength, our diversity is what gives that unity strength. It is by a bunch of different people working together for a common cause, to bring all unto Christ, that we can each be edified and become like Christ. I bear testimony that we all need to stop forcing people to fit a mold or to fit a square block into a round hole, but rather take everybody where they are and to help each of us work together to become like Christ. And in doing so, then we will be united and we will be Zion. I bear witness that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that diversity and unity are not opposite ends of the spectrum, but rather two ingredients in how we join with our brothers and sisters in becoming the body of Christ. May the Lord warm your shoulders. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
say 